We're back, back for another episode of the Letterman Jacket Podcast, back as the Sooners prepare for Bedlam and a trip to Stillwater, back with Garen Emig for the 20th episode of the Letterman Jacket. Garen, how we doing? Good to see you, Eli. I know. It's great. We're back. We, we are indeed back. It's the 20th episode. You know which Sooners were number 20 right now? Any guesses? You don't have uh, to. Not Billy Sims. No, not last time I checked. Robert Barnes? Mm-mm. No, not Robert Barnes. Freshman linebacker Lewis Carter, of course, was number 20. And Jacob Switzer, southeastern Louisiana transfer, oh, yeah. also happens okay. to be the grandson of one Barry Switzer, who I know you caught up this with this week. 1820. That was the year explorers discovered Antarctica. And uh, Garen, we were walking out of uh, Memorial Stadium in Lawrence the other night in that rain and that cold. For a second there, I might have sworn we were in Antarctica. I'm still, but anyway. dressed. I'm still dressed like it's <laughs> an Anar- like I'm in Antarctica. I can't, I can't stop chilling from that experience. And we didn't even, we, were even, we weren't even out in the elements. No, we had a good game. And yet, even those you know, 10 minutes we were outdoors, it was enough. It walked to the car, it was enough positively miserable unlike the rest of the weekend at least that we enjoyed away from football in lawrence kansas uh we're gonna talk uh the vibes around norman this week uh, as the sooners come off their first loss of the season as they prepare for bedlam we're gonna talk about that game in stillwater this weekend and then we will hit on uh you know the elephant in the room the fact that this is the final bedlam for now and for the foreseeable future uh but first we got to thank our sponsors garen rose hill builders National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Our Blood Institute, Bob Moore Auto Group, and of course, our friends at Fire Lake Arena and Fire Lake Golf. ZZ Top came to town. They've come and gone. They've been to Shawnee, put on a great show. There's more coming at Fire Lake Arena. Garen, you missed your shot at, at, uh, at catching ZZ Top. I'm sorry to tell you. That's, that's okay. I, I assume <laughs> that uh, like Fog Hat will be coming soon, right? And uh... Maybe maybe remnants of Skinner. How many how many band members are still with us from Skinner? You're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, let's talk. Let's talk vibe check around Norman. The Sooners. It was post game in Lawrence. It was a pretty. I, I think I put it with Todd on this podcast earlier this week. Is somber. Um, Dylan Gabriel, even in that all black suit with a black tie, it felt. I don't know. He could have been coming from a funeral. Uh, the way he, he was talking after that game and the way it felt after that game. We're back this week in Norman. Sooners been back on the practice field. We heard from Brent Venables. As the Sooners come off loss number one, as they come in at number nine in the college football playoff rankings, released Tuesday night, as they head to Stillwater, what has been the vibe? What have you picked up uh, around the Sooners this week? Kind of hard to know that. Uh, kind of hard to tell. I, I, I mean, resolute, I think, is what you want to hear if you're an OU fan. And I, I, there are traces of that, but I, I think there is still a little aftershock, man. I do. I, I don't think anyone in that compound thought that uh, they'd go to Kansas and lose. Everyone expected a good game. Uh, we'd be crazy not to, given the way the Jayhawks have played this year and the job that Lance Leifold has done and the way that that series has gone, right? The last couple of years, we talked about this last week. Um, even, even when Kansas was still sort of you know, running around in circles, they were just about upsetting the Caleb Williams version of, of, of the Sooners two years ago in that stadium. And so it, I just don't think it ever dawned on anyone, coaches, players alike, that 
they weren't going to get out of there still undefeated. And with every you know, aspiration intact and in control of all the destiny and all that stuff. And and so I, I do sense that there is still some coming to terms with that. And it might be for that reason better for OU to be playing the game they're scheduled to play next week, this week. That is West Virginia in Norman, right? Not that West Virginia is a pushover, but you know what I mean? It's not a little bit of an opportunity to get their footing in a game that doesn't mean everything to everyone in the state because of not, not just the history, but, but because of what this year's Bedlam represents. So we'll see if all of that is true. That's just my read on it. You've been around players more than I have. Perhaps you have a, a more direct route to that answer. Well, on, on what is the right game to play this week? There's two answers, right? There is the play West Virginia or TCU or BYU, the other teams remaining on the regular season schedule, or it's, it's great to be playing such an important game. This is an immediate refocus. They shouldn't need uh, any more motivation. I don't think Brent Venables needs to turn up the motivation for them, but you can't call this just any other game, and perhaps that's going to help. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think resolute is a word for it. I think you can't really know if, you know, resolute in the message is one thing Monday, Tuesday. What does it look like Saturday is what's going to matter. But, right. you know, I think the, the message has been no different than it was post game in Lawrence got to flush that one away move on really can't harp in it um but you do you can hear the cracks when you talk to guys again i mentioned dylan gabriel i don't mean to single him out he's not been um he's kind of remained the steadfast leader but i asked him last night uh, at practice we're recording this wednesday afternoon um if he felt like they got away from their identity on offense and he didn't just say no or say no you know we did our thing we're gonna get to he said that's for everyone else to interpret and in one sense you know that's that's him putting it out there, but that's not uh, confirmation. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it was an interesting quote to me. You heard some of that. Uh, and obviously, we're going to get to Jeff Levy and, and the play calling in Lawrence, and what that's going to mean for this weekend. But on the whole, you know, they, they do still have everything to play for, even the playoff. They've suddenly kind of been sucked into this Big 12 title race that, that is now wide open. So they, they know they've got to get back this week and, and make this game as much about Bedlam and the game that, as you said, matters to everyone in this state as it is just going 1-0 again, getting win number eight, and regaining their footing. On the injury front, you know, a big part of what went down in Kansas, no Danny Stutzman for almost the entire second half. Tawi Walker, basically the last four drives, had that ankle injury. That really hurt the offense. Gentry Williams missed out. Uh, in that game, in a position at cornerback where the Sooners really are not thin. Gentry's back in practice. It sounds pretty encouraging that he'll be back this weekend. And I think that's important both for having your starting cornerback back, but also returning someone like Kanai Walker to his kind of reserve um, rotational role, where I think he's really excelled. I think he struggled as the guy, and they really didn't have much behind him. Josiah Wagner was the only guy who took snaps at cornerback after Woody Washington and Kanai Walker. So that's good news. Brent Venables sounded hopeful and confident on Danny Stutzman, but was not absolute there. It sounds like it'll be something figured out later in the week. I think you'd be safe in assuming he can play, but that he's probably limited uh, to some degree. So we'll, we'll find out more about that Saturday. And kind of the same for Tawi Walker. These might really be, you know, we're not doctors. And Garen, I don't know how much you, football you've played. might be more than me, but we wouldn't know. But perhaps pain tolerance injuries. Um, they're, they're able to play. You know, both came out heavily taped up around their ankles. Both of them have ankle injuries. 
that's probably the story here. No one, very few guys are 100% in November. These two won't necessarily be, but you'd imagine both will be available to contribute something on Saturday. Any other notes as we go from one week to the next that, that jump out to you? I thought it struck me Brent Venables talking about tackling, taking some of the blame on, his, on, it, on himself. Uh, offensive line, rotation, movement, did they have their guys figured out? Uh, and perhaps another one, Brent Venables kind of still getting asked about the post-Texas hangover and whether it's lingered. A- any of the things I just presented you, does any one appeal? The, the most interesting, you referenced Levy a little bit ago, and I guess it was inevitable we were going to land on the, the play caller after what happened in, at KU, but the, the most interesting thing I've heard Venables say this week is um, an admission that essentially the game plan was flawed. And it's really interesting. It's it's not it's he wasn't throwing Levy under the bus. Head coaches aren't going to do that to their assistants. I, I don't think it, it just you don't ever hear that. But and and the head coaches are also fiercely protective of their staff. That's just how how they they're wired, almost as much as they're protective of their players. And I I thought it really interesting that that Venables sort of hinted at how things could have been different in the immediate aftermath while we were still all down up or up at Lawrence, right, on Saturday, and then circled back to that in, in a response to a question at his press conference Tuesday. This is three days later. He's had a chance to sort of review the, the damage, had a chance to sort of assess that, and everyone's rolled on that. And the fact that there wasn't much of a defense for Jeff Levy, to me, is a, an indictment of, of how poorly – Levy managed OU's offense in that game, which then puts a lot of the spotlight on him on Saturday in Stillwater. It's going to be Gabriel quarterbacking. It's going to be maybe Tawi Walker, probably Tawi Walker running back and Nick Anderson and Drake Stoops and Jaleel Farouk catching passes in that offense and the line protecting and run blocking and all that stuff. But let's not kid ourselves after a game that OU just had and a day that Jeff Levy just had and how life as a coordinator at a place like Oklahoma is already pretty perilous, even when you're winning. The fact that Venables didn't exactly come to his defense would put some kind of weight on what, on what Levy has in store for the Cowboys and for his fan base on Saturday. For the Sooners' sake, for Jeff Levy's sake, I hope it's more Jaleel Fruit catching passes and not taking handoffs out of the backfield. I think he's versatile enough to do it all, but... Gosh, I, I think there, there were a lot of play calls to point to, but handing off to Jaleel Farouk in the third quarter while Tawi Walker was, A, not injured yet, and B, averaging close to seven yards a carry, that was one of the big head scratchers. And it led to a turnover and really kind of got the ball rolling in a sec- second half that didn't go the Sooners' way uh, in the end. I do think you're right. I think, you know, Brent Venables, it was not, he, you know, he wasn't as fiery as maybe the, the transcript might have looked or anything like that. You know, he wasn't asked to defend his, his offensive coordinator, but he certainly didn't come out, as you put it, and, and upon review, upon looking at the film, breaking it down, say, well, we took the right shots. We just didn't, you know, that's football. We didn't get the, the right balance. It was a pretty unspoken, I guess, indictment of, of what they did offensively uh, in, in Lawrence. And it certainly puts a lot of the pressure on this week. And Brent talked about, he was asked, do you need to counsel someone like Jeff Levy on all the noise that has emerged around it? And Brent said, you know, we're all very aware of it. You know, he said even right when he got here, he told his team and his players, the noise is always going to be here around this program. Brent Venable certainly understands Oklahoma, 
all that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now Jeff Levy's hearing it, and as Brent Venable said, he's got to tune that out. That's a big part of this. But the only way you can really quiet that noise is to come out this weekend and A, throw a, a completely different approach at the Cowboys and B, come out of there with a win where the offense looks good. Um, because until then, it, the noise will still be there. Overall, it seems like there's a recognition of where some of the issues lie. Um, I do think, you know, even through, through to this week, it, it still sounds like there's some confusion as well of just how this has happened. UCF game that was tight, Kansas game that they kind of threw away. They, On one end, you're hearing, well, we're doing everything right. It's just not panning out, but certainly places to improve. Offense one, tackling another were Brent Venables. Uh, basically said, tackling's on me. I did. I haven't seen him out on the field right. uh, making tackles, but right. he says that's a reflection of him and that the players have a responsibility, but that it begins with him. And, and you asked Brent about discipline uh, during the press conference this week. So th- those are the places where there are serious questions. There are places they're talking about addressing. We won't know until Saturday in Stillwater. Mm-hmm. We'll be up there, Garen. It's going to be a full sellout. Not just uh, in the stands of Boom Pickens Stadium, but the whole sellout crowd, college football team, you, me, Jenny Carlson, Barry Trammell, we will be there. Uh, the Hutch brothers, Hutchins brothers, I, it's their home home ground, so I, uh, they, they came last. But we will all be there. Uh, Sooner six and a half point favorites, 2.30 ABC. Garen, where, where do the stakes begin for you? There's the immediate, there's OU needing to bounce back. Uh, there's needing to to keep a foothold in the the Big Twelve title race. That mm-hmm. that destination in Arlington not as safe as it looked even just a week or two ago. And then there's the big part of this: can't call yourself Big Brother or refer to another rival in state as Little Brother. Right. All those years, and then lose the last game. You just can't do it. So there's a lot at stake at Boom Pickens Stadium this weekend. There is, and you could go either way. You could go sort of take the long view, right, the historical one, and assume that OKU has a responsibility to to uphold the lopsided nature of the series, you know, the 90 wins to, you know, uh, OSU's total. I'm not good at math, so fill in the blank on on what the Cowboys are, you know, how far behind they are in the series. You know, if if people like Brian Bosworth, who went after Mike Gundy this week on Twitter, with the with the little brother comment, ba- I, I want to ask you about that actually. Those, okay. you know, in your latest uh, stunt of gotcha journalism, you asked Mike Gundy for some bedlam <laughs> memories and produced a soundbite, uh, and then Brian Bosworth <laughs> clapped back. I hope you know we're we're in the business of covering the news, not making the news. Garen, how'd this go down? This is uh, what? How are how are your letters? You've you've seen the uh, the trends, the numbers. What's the Letterman jacket rating in Stillwater like right now? Because you you equating me with gotcha journalism with Mike Gundy is is, is only going to do wonders for our Stillwater numbers. I'm sure. We're just trying to pump them up everywhere we can, any way we can. Uh, which is I, again, I think how you found yourself putting Mike Gundy in a place to uh, to to make a soundbite, um, as you often do. You show up just to. I don't know. Do I need to restate for the record the question that prompted the Bosworth vitamin Let's C? See, I want, what I want you to do is to break down how it went down because you asked a very good question uh, that produced no, you a can't typically. Backtrack. No, there's no, no back- I'm backtracking. I'm backtracking. Don't backtrack. I'm backtracking like Marcus Stripling under a, under a kick whoa, in Lawrence, Kansas. That, whoa. He physically backtracked and had to, to receive that ball. Ooh. 
We just lost the striplings as well in terms of our <laughs> we've lost a stripling demographic <laughs> to go with what what we've not lost in still water. What I wanna know is what you asked Mike Gundy that produced what was a a, a soundbite that went national, a quote that went national this week. That it was a I, it, it, the, the original question was the you know the importance of the game and how you know a coach deals with that and um you know that that pro- before he got into Bosworth and going to po- parties in Oklahoma City he equated Bedlam this week's game to K State his point being that the, the, that that was a pretty important game a couple of weeks ago that for the Cowboys who were, who were sort of sinking in quicksand at the time needed to win. And I granted it, I, as I wrote in the column that day, I granted him that he was right. But in terms of backdrop, this is about as important a game for him to be coaching in as he ever has, as many as he's coached. And we back and forth, back and forth. And finally, I landed on, do you see this rivalry different now as a coach than you did as a player? Some it wasn't any more difficult than that, and because Gundy is so damn entertaining, uh, his his response was to re- revisit a party that he had to choose to go to or not in Oklahoma City. What do you say before his junior year? I think it was after his sophomore season. After so yeah, sophomore, yeah. So and the chance he might run into <laughs> the vitamin C comment was just vitamin C after three drinks. Brian Bosworth. Yeah. God, so, I wish I was going to parties in Oklahoma City yeah. in the summer of 1987 or 88. Yeah, no doubt. So, you know, what that did is that had all of us asking players, and I, I did as well. I was in Stillwater that night, and I asked Colin Oliver, to, on, referencing Gundy. I saw the transcripts from you guys asking OU players a similar question this week. Do, is our rivalries different now? Gundy, Gundy's theory being everyone's pals, right? Because of camps and social media and, you know, portal, all the stuff that's driving college football nowadays. And, I, and again, I'm not saying he's wrong, but um, so all this did was add layers to what was already a multi-layered game. Indeed. And um, I, I don't know, uh, Eli, how, gosh, man, I, I don't know if... Uh, I'm 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 on the fact that it's crazy. This is the last one. I I have to. I can't help but circle back to that. Well, we're gonna hit. Uh, we're gonna do. A, we're gonna close out on the the big topic of this being okay. it. So we don't need to dive too hard okay. into it. But it, it's a, no. It's an important part of this. And I, I I sort of tend to. I was a little disappointed maybe to hear Mike Gundy compare this to K State. I, I think you'll hear both coaches this week and most years. You know, at least somewhat try to say, just like any other game for OU this week. It's obvious why they're starting to treat it that way they're they certainly got more buttoned up more serious this week after a loss this mm-hmm. wouldn't matter who they're playing the importance is the same mike gundy can maybe tell you the same or, or act like things are different now than when he was uh back in the day that's a fam- that he, he does love that um that theme uh on the whole but i i think you know you talk to someone like drake stoops and he says i'm not on social media i don't talk to guys up there ask him you know, I was trying to do the math. There, there's a couple of Norman guys uh, on on the Cowboys roster, but Drake Stoops, you know, he, he was not in a, ah, uh, yeah, I love those guys. You know, it'll be tough for 60 minutes, but we'll, we'll take pictures after the game. I think it's still there. And I, I think, sure, maybe these guys are, t- you know, tighter now. Maybe they've played seven on sevens together when they are on that field. 
and when it's 2.30 on Saturday and the paddles are going in Stillwater and both teams are playing for kind of their life in terms of, of fighting to, to get to that Big 12 title game, this will be a rivalry game. The intensity mm-hmm. will be there. So uh, interesting, interesting. It was uh, quite, a, quite a moment you pulled out of Mike Gundy, uh, the, the way you have an act for doing. Well, here, yeah, here's the thing. Players, you hit on something really important. Players are the ones who the stakes are right now, right? I mean, for, for the, this is it for these guys. Uh, they've, uh, you know, in some cases, one or two shots at a championship appearance. Now, that wasn't the case at OU until very recently. They had five or six shots at a championship because they were always in the Big 12 championship game. But you know what? But on the surface, you know, maybe this will be uh, the last time that, that players on these teams uh, have a chance to go to Arlington and play for a Big 12 title. Or or if you're Oklahoma, maybe this is the last shot you're going to be able to make a run still at a college football playoff. So there is an immediacy. Even if you feel differently about your rival, there is an immediacy for players that, Eli, I don't think is there for coaches. And none, none, of, the, none of the Cowboys line up on Saturday with a 3-15 and Bedlam record. So for, for Gundy and for Brent Venables, like Riley and Stoops before him in Norman, uh, you answer to your, your, you answer to a salary. These, you know, there may be an IL in place, but there's, there's no salary for Dylan Gabriel or Alan Bowman or, uh, Ollie Gordon, right. On Saturday. So how do you answer to your salary by, by, by winning? And if there is a, there is a history that works against Gundy and for Venables or the OU coach, then I think that that forces you to take a longer view of, of a game like this, not just the fact that it's going away, but the fact what's lead what's happened in the lead up to it going away. You know what happens when you ask Dabo Sweeney about his, uh, his salary, call him out on his $11.5 million. God, that was Tyler from Spartanburg. That was glorious. It's great. It's really Is good. Dabo still ranting. Cause that thing he's went still, on. He's still going. If you tune in to Clemson radio, he's still going. That that'll by the way, Tyler was the caller's name. Mm-hmm. Let the record reflect: Tyler will be the last caller in the history of a Clemson <laughs> coach's show. His question went on about two minutes. The I answer, don't know how they didn't cut him off. The answer went on twenty minutes. So, well, if, if someone should someone should have disconnected Tyler's line, I get, I grant you, someone also should have put the hook on Dabo about five minutes into the response. He he made his point, and the longer he made his point, the worse he looked. Not that, not that we came on to talk about the problems at Clemson, but I wish we could have just done that. If it wasn't Bedlam week, Garen, that's all we did. That's not what if, yeah. Last week it's Connor Stallions, this week it's Tyler from Spartanburg. We might still have some Connor Stallions in here later. It's in the news still, I see. Well, that's what I'm going to ask you about. But all right, to the game this weekend, all the importance, but to the 60 minutes and who's going to win this game. Right. If you're OU, is this week more about the Sooners and fixing what's wrong with the offense? And what's been an issue on defense in terms of tackling and discipline, or is it is the bigger concern? Ollie Gordon, Alan Bowman, and OSU defense is playing well on a Cowboys team. Yeah, that stands up there with the hottest in the country. Can you believe we're saying that? It's crazy. Like, um, when did they lose to South Alabama? What was that night? Is that twenty fourth September? That feels like. I think, yeah, I think it was. That's oh the five date. Weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was five weeks ago. Point is, look at where the Cowboys are now in the college football playoff rankings and riding in as pretty confident underdogs here. The question being, what should OU be, what do do they need to fix more or worry about more? Their own issues or what Oklahoma State presents? Well, 
I would answer it by saying that it's crazy. And this, this, this sums up the crazy uh, in terms of where this, this script has sort of flipped in this game. We've gone from, uh, I think, just in one week's time, because though you lost that game at Kansas, from spending all week diagnosing Venables and Ted Roof's defensive plan to stop Gordon to what are you going to do about this, Jeff? What are you going to, you know, how are you going to, are you, are you going to untie Dylan Gabriel and let him throw the ball? I, it's not supposed to rain. It's not supposed to be as windy. Surely you're going to have him. Surely, you know, that's the best part of your, we, you and I have been on this for a while now. Surely, you know, that's your best path to victory, your best path to success. So let's see that you realize that again. So, um, no, I, I think that the first thing is as good as Gordon has been, as dynamic a, a running back as he's proven to become, as good as Colin Oliver is, uh, and as much of a game wrecker as he's been in this series. Remember, he's the one that got to Caleb Williams two years ago and ended that game. Uh, they are problems for Oklahoma, regardless of the Sooners' condition. But the Sooners' condition coming out of Kansas leads me to think that they've got to get their house in order more than at least as much, if not more than worrying about anything the Cowboys throw at them. I won't ask you for a prediction. I don't like predictions, but give me your expectation. What What do you think we will be talking about when we walk out of Boone Pickens Stadium late on Saturday night? I can give you two players who aren't named Dylan Gabriel and Ollie Gordon, who to me are, are going to be the, the t- sort of, you know, the hubs here. Uh, Alan Bowman for OSU. Again, it's going to be easy for everyone to focus on what is Oklahoma going to do that no one else has been able to against Gordon. I think uh, Bowman uh, will decide OSU's fate more than Ollie Gordon will on Saturday because I think the Sooners will do what everyone expects them to do and, and force Bowman to, to, to beat them with his, with his arm, not Ollie Gordon with, with his legs. And then for Oklahoma, I think... Um, Again, a lot of focus on Gabriel. A lot of focus. If, if Stutzman doesn't play, it, it, this becomes a Kip Lewis game, right? It does indeed, especially when you consider what they've got to stop. I mean, there's not a game exactly. on the schedule you'd want full strength, you know, 14, 15 tackles Danny Stutzman than this one with Ollie Gordon. So it becomes not just for Kip Lewis, who, who is the immediate fill-in, but Kobe McKenzie, mm-hmm. anyone else they throw in there. Uh, I do think this might be... This is the week, uh, some would argue it's always been the right week, but for Desan McCullough, mm-hmm. uh, not just to, pl- he's played well and stopped the run well. Uh, they've, they've been swapping in Kendall Dolby there, to maybe to spell Desan McCullough, maybe for certain packages, maybe it helped more against UCF in Kansas. If you ask me, this is the week for Desan McCullough. He can yeah. do things as a pass rusher, he wraps up runners. That's the guy you want in there. They need their best 11. They, there's no getting cute this week. You need your best 11 in there, and DeSamacall is a part of that. No, that's, that's a bullseye. Um, but I'm going to land on an offensive player who's not Gabriel or Tywee Walker, assuming, again, he's back. And I think he uh, – I, what do you think? What, 90, 90% I think, I think it's probably just a matter of condition. Pain tolerance. You know? Pain tolerance and, and then over the course of the game. Yeah, we're speaking okay. from no place of – but, you know, Tywee Walker said, you know, he came back in for a carry. Mm-hmm. After the injury at Kansas, said he just didn't feel great, didn't like yeah. cutting on it. Uh, day it happened, and they went to Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk at the end of that game, and it was messy. I think if he's available, it's it's at what condition, and then how does that change over the course of the game? Yeah, um, I'm going to land on Nick Anderson, uh, and everyone, you know, it's it's a it's a really sweet narrative that all he does is catch touchdown passes because that sort of feels like that's still all he does, but. 
Anderson's a guy that needs to do a lot more than that on Saturday. He's a guy that's got to help sort of re, re, recharge Gabriel and the passing game, get things beyond 10 yards, get things beyond swing passes in the backfield, right? And the, the pop passes, the jet, whatever you want to call them, the sweeps. Nick Anderson will have opportunities. Oklahoma State's secondary has played well, but it is very vulnerable. I've seen enough of that defense to realize that. And there's no better receiver, as, as reliable as Drake Stoops is, as potentially harmful as Jaleel Farouk can be to uh, a secondary. Um, the guy that, oh, you must unlock is Nick Anderson. And it's going to have to be more than two or three times. <laughs> If he gets two or three touchdown passes, great. But I'm thinking like seven or eight other big plays in between the touchdown passes. So I, I land on on Anderson as sort of, I mean, we know about how good he is. This is an opportunity for him to show a lot more people around the, the, the nation how good he is. I like it. Two other guys who I'm intrigued by, not flashy skill guys, Jacob Sexton and Caden Green. We saw the Sooners, they rotated a lot against Kansas that it seemed like the offensive line it really wasn't a problem the whole game, but they kept rotating mm-hmm. the best combo they had when they went on those three straight scoring drives uh, in the second quarter, probably the best the offense has looked the most consistent. It has looked since that final drive against Texas. It was Jacob Sexton, not Walter Rouse and at left tackle. It was Caden green, who I was stunned not to see start at Kansas Savion bird got in there for the start and mm-hmm. didn't last long. And, and that feels like an experiment that they're still experimenting on eight games into the season. That That's a bit of your answer. I think Caden Green and Jacob Sexton on the left side, to the mm-hmm. left of Andrew Rame, McCabe Matoyer and Andrew Rame, is their best combo right now. We'll see who they go with Saturday night. But if you want to talk about the night and day of the offense at Kansas, and it probably had a lot more to do with Tawi Walker or the decisions when to throw, when to run, but those were two variables in it, and uh, and they changed in the second half. I don't know why. Uh, we didn't really get much of an answer on that this week other than we got to rotate guys. Yeah. They've got to have that settled front five, and I mm-hmm. think that's the unit. Yep. Uh, let me throw one more thing at you, and then we, we'll move on. He made uh, – Venables made Oklahoman's captains, player captains. It was even asked about in the press conference. That That, that makes sense. Because the rivalry does, I think, mean more. It makes sense that it means more to Oklahoma kids. There's a history of OU players, especially on defense, from Oklahoma, you know, meeting the moment in this game. And I think you, we've already referenced Gentry Williams' return, the kid from Booker T, uh, Ethan Downs, mm-hmm. right? I'm thinking about someone like him, and even someone like Jordan Kelly, who, who's sort of a rotation, yeah, sort of a rotational player inside. He had two sacks in this game. Uh, I think it was a year ago. Was it yeah. last year or the year before? I think it, was, mm-hmm. it was last year. He had a great finish to last year. It was lost in all the losing. Uh, but you're exactly right. That wasn't a shot either. But that, you're exactly right. Right. No, I, right. no I'm, I'm just saying again, uh, I covered – that's a sidebar. Just know that between between those three in particular, may, and I hope I'm not missing another. You'll have to tell me. I've got I, one more name for you. i got one more name for you. Yeah. I mean, and it's a segue here. Trace Ford. I knew there was. I knew there was an obvious miss, and there there's the most obvious miss. Well, there you go, and it, it is our entryway into to, to kind of this last segment because we're going to talk about Bedlam on the whole. Yeah, we are talking about a guy who's from Edmond, Santa Fe High School. Perhaps I, I might even be writing something, and by the time you listen to this, <laughs> I should have a story on on Trace Ford 
up at selloutcrowd.com. But he's a guy who there's not been a great, uh, a long history of this, who swapped OSU, spent the first four years of his, of his career there for OU this year. And by, you know, by all accounts, you, you talk to him about it. It was a personal decision of, of where he felt he had to be, what he wanted to do with at least most likely his last year of college football, mm-hmm. wanting to stay close to home. Uh, all those factors pulled him to Norman. Also produced a lot of what you'd have expected and perhaps what some would argue is justified from the OSU fan base of feeling betrayed, all that stuff. Uh, but here we are now. That Bedlam game we all thought about the moment Trace Ford committed to OU is finally here, and he's going to get a shot in the last bedlam and that's where we are going to finish here garen you you were hitting on it before about what yeah. we're about to lose uh because this is it for context anyone at home who, who hasn't followed it closely oklahoma leaving for the sec that is going to be it for bedlam football at least for the time being that's been a, a moving target right since since oklahoma announced its plans to depart you know osu essentially and i think rightly so says we're not going to bother they don't they don't need to bend over backward or cancel games in order to play ou non-conference and we don't know what the the sec is going to look like in terms of an eight or nine game conference slate all the emotional factors are there the political factors and then there's the practical of these are teams that schedule their games 15 years out you can go find out who OU's playing in 2037 right now if you wanted it's going to be a while before they get back on the field and i think flatly that that's a shame right karen uh it's an under it's an understatement yeah no it's it it is it's it's sort of it's like a lot of things that are happening because of realignment it's it doesn't seem possible and yet it's happening before our eyes the disintegration of of a power conference in the pac-12 the disintegration of of rivalry games whether uh or series whether it's texas and texas a&m or kansas missouri or um uh, you know, those are the two. Those are the two that come to mind regionally. To say nothing of what we don't know about nationally, and uh, now the wrecking ball has been taken to Bedlam. And yeah, no, it's it's. I mean, there there's a million ways to explain it. I I still think that the, I wrote at the time Eli when Oklahoma announced that they would move to the SEC that if OSU decided to thumb its nose at the Sooners, the rest of its athletic existence it had a right to because it was Oklahoma that decided to do this. And it, while it might, it made perfect sense from an OU perspective because of the money, because of the opportunity and all the other things that went into the decision, money being, of course, front and center, it put Oklahoma State in a terrible spot. It put them at a, at a dangerous spot because of how everyone was panicking over the value of the Big 12 just disappearing with the Sooners and the Longhorns disappearance. And so when you take that kind of hit, that's not a rivalry. That's just, you're, you're doing, that's, that's business, right? That's your way of life, literally, if you're Oklahoma State. And so um, I still put more of the blame on Oklahoma than Oklahoma State, regardless of any of the posturing by the ADs or presidents or head coaches or media or, or boosters or regents or whoever else is involved in this. But you do land on what you just said. It is a shame. And uh, that's that casts as much as the stakes are as high as they've ever been for this game for all sorts of reasons. It sort of does cast a pall on 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 Saturday, and I and I don't know if we'll feel it until we walk out of Boone Pickens Stadium. But even OSU fans say the Cowboys win the game. Are, are it's, surely by the time they go to bed that night, it's it's going to hit that this this really was it. And you're gonna might feel good about sending the Sooners off with a loss, but 
What are you going to do next year when you're trying to manufacture a, an arch rivalry with who? Right. That's that's, Tech, that's one of the newcomers. Exactly. That's shameful. And that there's you're, you're right. That's a, that's a that's one of many words you could use for what's going on here. Well, I'll make a deal with you. If the Cowboys win Saturday, we'll walk out of the press box and head straight to the strip in Stillwater. And we will pull people, Cowboy fans, on how they feel if they're going to miss Oklahoma after getting the win in the very last one. But you are right. You're exactly right. Uh, this is going to hit everyone at some point, that this is going to be no more. Ideally, we go out with an, a, you know, a Bedlam classic that reminds us all, that, you know, that entertains us, that gives us a blast of a game Saturday, mm-hmm. but also leaves us with a lasting reminder of what is about to go out the window. I, I wanted to ask you this. For, for me, I grew up in New York, not exactly a college football uh, haven, outpost, whatever you want to put it, but I somehow became a college football fan, ate it all up. And this game put Oklahoma on the map for me, however many miles away I was, and gave Oklahoma and football in this state an identity. That's going to be gone. And that's, you know, that's a personal experience. When you were a wee lad in, in Tulsa growing up, what, what was your introduction to this game? growing up in this state this is a true story when the first thing i ever wrote for a publication of any kind i was in third grade at academy central elementary school in tulsa and we put out a you know maybe a 10-page mimeographed uh booklet essentially of of stories contributed by the the students at old academy central and um i watched the 1976 OSU upset. The only time Barry Switzer lost Bedlam was in 76 to Terry Miller. And uh, Charlie Weatherby was the quarterback. And uh, I watched the game and wrote about it. I wish I knew the name. Gosh, I, it kills me that I don't remember the name because it did have a name. The name of the, uh, the, 10, the 10 page newspaper that we circulated at Academy Central. So that's how far back it goes for me. I, I, I just moved to Tulsa, so it's not like I'd, I'd immerse myself in the rivalry, but I knew it was a big enough deal that I ought to park myself in front of the television and watch uh, and then read the accounts in the next day's Tulsa Tribune, which which I did, believe it or not, even at that age, and to, and to maybe turn around my own story. And so um, that's how far back it goes. It's, it's, it's not my favorite Bedlam moment. It's not my favorite Bedlam game. But if you're asking about uh, you know an investment in a series, it gives you an idea, I think. We'll close on this subject here. You spoke to Barry Switzer this week. Mm-hmm. You know, there's everyone's making calls. We have plenty of sellout crowd on d- different voices on on this thing going away. But it, you got to have a conversation with Barry Switzer the mm-hmm. last time. You know, the week of the last time this game's going to be played for a good long while. What lasting impressions did he leave you with in terms of the reflections he had about a game that is going away? Well, he he was the word he used was regret, and he was also, but he's also re- very realistic as to the why. I mean, he circled around television and money, sort of dictate if that dictates realignment, and if realignment's dictating the end of series like Bedlam, then that's where that's where you land on. Um, the most interesting thing that Barry said, I thought, was that what he told his players before they lined up against the Cowboys, knowing that. 90% of those games from 73 to 88, the Sooners had a much better team. They, they just, I mean, they just did. That's just, the, that's how OU was set up and how OSU was set up at the time. It got a little evened out toward the end there when Gundy and Dykes and, you know, Barry started doing their thing in Stillwater. But 
uh, I'd always, I was always under the impression that, that it was because Barry had to worry about Texas and Nebraska, especially. And they were, they were rocking along pretty well at the time that I don't, I just figured he put the Cowboys at a distant underlying distant third in terms of, you know, what are the, what's the checklist look like every year? He didn't argue that they were third because of how good the Huskers and Longhorns were. But to say that he took that game for granted or took OSU as a, as a threat lightly was, 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 that was my mistake. And he let me know right out of the gate when he said, when he told me what he told his players, the, the story of which is included in the column at selloutcrowd.com, not to give too much away. So I'm, everyone should call Barry Switzer once every several weeks just to hear his voice. That's my thing on Barry Switzer, right? While, while we have him around, and I don't, want him to turn, I, I don't mean to say anything I shouldn't or turn morbid. That's not what I'm doing. But while we have people like Barry Switzer around to talk to about whether it's Bedlam or Texas or former players or college football, you ought to do it. And I'm reminded of that every time I pick up the phone and call him because I had never asked him about Bedlam. It had only been about the other two rivalries. And, it, and I'm, I'm sort of using the word shame, Eli. I'm sort of ashamed it took me until the last one to call the king and ask him for his thoughts on, on the rivalry and the history. Well, I'm glad you did. It's a fabulous column. You're right. Anytime you get a chance to talk to Barry Switzer about most anything, it's a good conversation. Uh, and it was, uh, I think, probably a game where people's feelings now in the lead up to the game, if you're an OU fan or an OSU fan, you're probably caught up in what's going to happen Saturday and all the uh, emotion of the rivalry. But I think if you want some perspective on what it might feel like Sunday morning when we wake up and this thing's over, go read that column, go read what Barry Switzer had to say. And uh, you might get kind of straightened out on that about what is going out the door. Garen, we'll get you out of here soon. But first, you, you up for it? A game of Garen, Garen out? I'm always up for it. I, I would you be ready. I would be you prepared. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump in if you're ready. Mm-hmm. OU, six and a half point favorite over OSU right now. I'm not going to ask you if they'll cover that. Do you feel like six and a half points? is an accurate representation of what this game is going to be as of midweek uh, mm-hmm. ahead of OUOSU. Leaning Gare out there, Eli. And, I'm, and that's Gare out in, in favor of Oklahoma State. I think it's going to be tighter than that. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. I think we're going to get a good, tight game. Now, there's OU fans who will tell you as they head to the SEC, as they cling on to the, not I say cling on, but have the rivalry with Texas to fall back on, that they won't miss playing OSU. You gear in or gear in, gear out on that. That they won't miss playing OSU. Oh, that's a gear out, man. I concur. Now, does does OSU hold the coaching advantage in this game? When it comes to you know, particularly after what we saw last weekend in Lawrence, that comes under focus. You gear in or gear out on the thought that the coaching advantage lies in Stillwater. That three and fifteen, it's just hard to ignore that, isn't it? Gundy's albatross. I think so. In this series, I mean, but it's it's. I know I'm copping out here. It's three and fifteen versus the the turnaround that this staff has done since South Alabama. Mm. I think that outweighs three and fifteen. I don't know if Cowboy fans will believe that, uh, but I. You're at, the original was OU has a coaching advantage. Garen, uh, OSU has the coaching advantage. OSU Garen or Gare out on I, that. I'm gonna because of the turnaround. I'm gonna actually say Garen. It, it doesn't make any sense for me to say that given Mike's bedlam history. But Gare, yeah, Garen on OSU's advantage. 
Well, and you talk about coaching. It's amazing how the tides turn. Casey Dunn is not the uh, the coordinator. Yeah, everyone yeah. is speculating about so going into this have, game. Have flipped. It's unbelievable. Now, talking about the OU offense, talking about throwing downfield, Dylan Gabriel had five throws over 10 yards against Kansas. Not completions, but throws beyond 10 yards. That tied a season low. Uh, he had the same against, I want to say, SMU. Every other game, he's around you know, 12, 15, some weeks close to 20. Gare in or Gare out, will we see more than that? in week 10 at Oklahoma state. What quarter are you talking about? <laughs> well, at this point, I mean, they can say they're going to throw the ball more, but it's been about two weeks of watching, oh. watching them fire behind the line of scrimmage. I think I had it in a story this week, 36% of their throws at Kansas were behind the line of scrimmage. So they better turn that around, but evidence hasn't been there. So you're guaranteeing that that's going to happen. Yeah. Very, about as, about as, as loud a guarantee as I can muster on, more than five yards. I think that's a first quarter, Garen. Honestly, I really do. If the if, oh, you if, unless, they go, unless they keep going three, I guess if they could go three and out twice, and Ollie Gordon, you know, runs it twenty times, and then mm-hmm. have an opportunity to throw it five times in a quarter beyond ten yards. But Garen, yes. All right, all right. Uh, last bedlam one. OU holding Ollie Gordon below one hundred and sixty-five rushing yards. Garen or Gare out on that, and as as a bonus. Is that part of, is that the, the, the thing that could swing this game if they can keep them, uh, or wh- whichever way that goes? Well, that's, I'm kind of guaranteeing on both of those, Eli. I, I don't think they hold them under 100, but I, I think they can think under 165. I, it just stands to reason that, that that's going to be the focus and that they're not going to miss so many tackles that, that Ollie's out of the gate, you know, over and over again. But he's, he's, he's damn good, man. He's so mm. good. You know who really is impressed by Ollie Gordon? Brent Venables. Uh, <laughs> he better listen be. to him talking about him yesterday. Yeah, yeah he better be. Certainly aware. They're very aware of Ollie Gordon in Norman this week, it, mm-hmm. it seems. First set of college football playoff rankings out. Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, top four teams. Garen or Gare out that three of those teams will be there in the final college football playoff rankings heading to the semifinals. Garen. Bonus, Michigan or Ohio State? Who's the Big 12 team that's there? For my dad's sake, I'll say Ohio State, but it would just be for my dad's sake. All right. Favorite Halloween costume? That's not really a gear in, gear out, but that's just a, a question. <laughs> Landed on the list. Clearly, <laughs> I didn't work these out well enough. There's only, this is the last of, th- we've got three more. This is one of them. Favorite all-time Halloween costume. You put out a, a, an adorable family photo yesterday. Yeah, that was a good one. Speed Racer. Ah, there we go. Speed Racer. We got the car? I, wasn't in the Mach, I was not in the Mach 5. I didn't have a chance to, to wrangle a, mm. a vehicle, but I, I, put the, I had the helmet and everything. Wonderful. Speaking of costumes, our friend Connor Stallions is back in the God. news this week. <laughs> Uh, you gear in or gear out on him? Was that him on the sidelines at Central Michigan watching Michigan State? You kidding? There is no way I'm going to answer anything other than gear in on that being the real Connor <laughs> Stallions at Central Michigan. Here's the last one. Uh, I- I'm not a father yet. It's probably a good thing. Uh, but the dad tax is something I hear about around Halloween every year that the kids come home with Halloween candy and there's got to be some kind of dad tax, a, a penance. Um, I don't know for the whatever you got to pay for was 
you gear in or gear out on the dad tax? And was that something you employed uh, when when Gretchen and Holden were uh, trick or treating? See that first I've heard of the it, honest to God, the first I've heard of the dad tax. So obviously, really? so obviously, gear out. out. Uh, I had huh. I, the kids. The kids like that, and they they wanted to share. Believe it or not, they actually were into sharing their candy with mom and dad. Two good kids. They they did quite well for themselves. Yes, despite despite the work of their parents. <laughs> well, Garen, on that note, we got Bedlam this week. We're going to close out here on the Letterman jacket. Uh, thank you for joining us. If, you, if you're still here and you, you haven't subscribed, please do. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Subscribe. Do everything. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, everywhere you can get podcasts, we're there. We're also at selloutcrowd.com. We've got loads of Bedlam content coming this week. Uh, big thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Musgrove, creative director, Michael Lane. And we'll be back post-Bedlam with another edition of the Letterman Jacket.